Hello and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 1, which is called Old Wounds. To start us off, Katie has gathered some trivia about the episode, so let's take a look at that. I had a lot of fun looking up trivia for this. Yeah. So after I rewatched the first episode, I scoured the internet and I found some really cool stuff about the show. Like Alara, if you watch the first episode, she doesn't have eyebrows. But yes. in the rest of the show, she has eyebrows and apparently she shaved them off. Halston Sage shaved them off for the role, but it was received poorly. So they had to put fake eyebrows on her for the remainder of the season. So you can Google it and you can see before and after pictures. And it's like a striking difference. Everyone was like, we can't accept that you don't have eyebrows, but we accept the ridges and the yeah. ears and the, all the other stuff. But no eyebrows. I'm out of here. I know. It's like the alien factor wasn't enough. It was like the eyebrows were the, the point. That was what set people over the edge, I guess. But yeah, so you can actually see some differences in the makeup, too, which I thought was really mm -hmm. interesting. Also, near the beginning of the series premiere, there is a scene that shows the bridge from outside of the ship. Mm -hmm. And they said that this recalls an opening scene of the cage, which is in the original Star Trek pilot. Okay. And I, I actually really loved that scene when they're showing the Orville leaving the dock. And there's like an overhead shot where they look inside from like the window above mm -hmm. the bridge. And I just thought that was a really cool like aspect to see because you don't normally see you're always on the bridge it's and this true. is a cool way to you see like how little they are and how massive the ship is too yeah and usually in like star trek especially in like tos and tng when they did stuff they didn't quite have obviously they don't didn't have the capabilities that we do now so that would mm -hmm. be like a still image that would be moving yeah. with the model so we didn't see motion on the bridge like we did in the shot here yeah i actually that went that shot stood out to me i even made a note about it because i was I, I don't remember that from the first time I watched it. And it it was like really a striking thing to see mm -hmm. because I always picture things from on the bridge and I love seeing like it's this little ecosystem. Yeah, I did too. It's yeah. really cool. And then I found Penny Johnston Gerald, who plays Dr. Claire Finn, was a regular on the last season of Deep Space Nine as Cassidy Yates. And I love Star Trek, but I did not watch Deep Space Nine. It's on my to-do list. Okay. So watching the Orville for the first time, the whole time, I was like, how do I know that woman? Because I did watch Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. So I didn't make the connection in my brain until the trivia was presented to me. And now I'm like, <laughs> what? Yeah. But it totally makes sense. I can totally like picture her from DS9. And the first time I watched it, I was like, where do I know her from? She was on Castle, which is a Nathan Fillion show. I haven't seen that. And she was like the captain, like the cops captain. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's her. So I, I only knew her from that. I didn't actually know she was on a Star Trek series. Mm. I know for a fact that there are lots and lots of Star Trek tie-ins uh, between Orville and uh, Star Trek. So I'm excited to explore all of them. I know. And I, some of my fun facts have... A lot of Star Trek tie-ins, like, episodes mirror one another, sharing the same plot curve as with Star Trek The Next Generation, Encounter at Farpoint, and that Riker joins later in the episode, and so does Kelly Grayson. Yeah, so I wonder how much that was intentional, or mm -hmm. if it just better served the plot, because I, th I think it's more coincidence than intentional. Yeah. Because if, if she had been there from the beginning you'll lose the whole shock factor of, oh, we found you an XO and here you go. And Yeah, here's your ex-wife. She's coming aboard. Yeah, they kind of had to do it that way. It's yeah. for the story. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting because it does mirror. Totally. And that probably was a coincidence. And then, well, this is kind of a spoiler. I mean, obviously, hopefully you've watched the episode. Yes. Um, But, but Kelly is caught banging a retepsin. And I this could be reaching. I just found this and thought it was interesting. But retep is the name of Peter's evil doppelganger in Family Guy which is another show by Seth MacFarlane. And people think that this might be a reference oh. and say retep is Peter spelled backwards. Interesting. And I don't know if that's just like a coincidence because I mean, I, in my head, a retepsin like kind of reptile, but also he's an alien. So maybe I think I that's know, maybe. intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Especially to have like someone who would be set up as his nemesis, like the guy mm -hmm. he hates so much. That makes total sense. 
Yeah, I thought that was. I like that. And I love Family Guy, so I was like, "Oh, that's actually kind of cool." If yeah, they did I like that. that. Like <laughs> Ritepson is like Peter, so it's Peter's evil doppelganger, and it's Ed Mercer's evil Ritepsian, doppelganger. by the way. Ritepsian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm a grammatical <laughs> sci-fi corrector. No, I need that. Also, for a brief moment, we see Captain Mercer's manifest. Yes. And the names on the manifest have like the characters. But then after that, there are a bunch of people who work on the show and the production of the show. Oh, cool. So it's kind of a nod to like the crew, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I love when they do stuff like that. Yeah. And then my last fun fact is, according to Scott Grimes, who plays Gordon Malloy, the beer Gordon drinks in the shuttle when they're heading to the Orville really was beer. There you go. (laughs) Setting the tone. Setting the tone. (laughs) Perfect. That's it. Yep, that those are the fun facts I found. Fantastic. Let's talk about the episode itself. So okay. the episode starts off, we get an overview of Earth in the year 2418, more specifically New York, because we see the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that this was not an overly far-fetched vision of what that year might look like. I thought it was a, a fairly good kind of... Uh, representation of of where it could possibly go yeah i the thing that stood out to me was his flying quote-unquote car Mm -hmm. i guess it would be like a pod and i i just remember watching him pull up to his home and thinking how cool it would be if flying cars were actually like that and just the the whole yeah i agree like it's it wasn't so far-fetched to believe that that could be a reality in the future for a city on earth and because sometimes you go, you watch things that are super sci-fi and it's like, whoa, that's far way advanced. Every building and is so scene, different, like sleek. Mm-hmm. And this just really looked like bigger and taller. Yeah. And I I agree. I think that there were little, I love the details on this show because there was a point in the pod where they, they buckled their belt buckles and it turned red to green. Yep. And those are the little things that I love. And I felt like with him going home. You know, he had like a mini garage and he came through it. I just loved those little aspects of things because I love imagining living in a future world. And this seemed plausible to me. I think it's one of the reasons we watch these shows. We just want to exist in these worlds. Ed Mercer arrives at his apartment where he finds his wife, Kelly, in bed with a Ritepsian. She pleads to talk with him, but he leaves. I mean, that was a tough scene. Like, it's funny in the sense that. He squirts blue everywhere, mm-hmm. but there's obviously a serious aspect to it. Um, but I think it sets a good tone for their dynamic and their relationship, which comes into play, obviously, much later in the sure. episode. Yeah. And I, I, because they have a discussion later in the episode where obviously there's unresolved issues, but it all stems from that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a big underlying thing underneath this. Like, yes, this episode has its own plot. But this is kind of like, I don't know which plot would be the A plot and the B plot Mm -hmm. because we're really exploring them kind of in a parallel way. One doesn't feel more or less important than the other. I think the part with the relationship dynamic is kind of what sets the tone for the whole series Mm -hmm. because it's, you know, is Kelly going to stay on board or is Ed just going to get mad and be like, get out of here. I don't want you a part of this at all. And I mean, the way it plays out, I think is really I loved the way that they intertwined the plots, though, Mm -hmm. because I I, want to jump around a little bit. But like just the the whole marriage thing came up at various points throughout the episode, including with the plot where they want to find the aging ray gun and everything. Mm -hmm. Totally. Uh, We jumped to one year later after the alleged affair, not alleged affair, after the very obvious (laughs) affair. Uh, yeah. Ed arrives in Admiral Halsey's office and is notified that a mid-level exploratory vessel named the USS Orville needs a captain, and he's being given one last chance. He still needs a helmsman and a first officer, though. Mm-hmm. I love uh, Admiral Halsey because he's played by Victor Garber. Yeah. And Victor Garber is wonderful. Yeah. I, I love the actors that they, the ancillary actors that they have on the show. Mm-hmm. I think they did a really good job with casting and... In that meeting with Admiral Halsey, it seems like Ed shouldn't be getting the job, like at all. Yeah, saying like he's shown up for work hungover and he's had so many issues, and so it is interesting that like because I remember watching it for the first time, being like, "Why are they giving him a ship then?" Right, you're giving all these reasons why he should not be a captain, and yet here's your ship. Yeah, here's a ship we're entrusting you with. Go explore the universe. Yeah, like it's fine. And then I mean, he goes and he finds he's he recommends a helmsman who has his own 
issues, it seems like. For sure. Uh, which is the next scene. Mercer locates his friend, Lieutenant Gordon Malloy, in a simulator battling an ogre named Justin and recruits him as his helmsman, who uh, Gordon and Ed have a very close friendship that we learn kind of right away about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I-, I love the dynamic between the two of them when Ed's coming in and Go- he's just like, hey, I got a ship. Gordon's like, that's amazing. He's like, it needs a help. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh my God, I'm ready. It's just, it's that best friend kind of relationship that it, it works really well. Yeah. I will say I love Justin the Ogre also. Yes. Just his character made me very happy. Where I mean, it gives you a little insight to Gordon as a person mm-hmm. also. Like he created this environment to fight ogres, but gave him a cool personality. Yeah. And it it is neat to see... Um, you know, he's the best helmsman, I guess, in the fleet. And the fact that he's just all on board with Ed, you know, you're finally a captain. I'm, we're, let's do this together. I love the best friend dynamic. Yep. And it's very clear that they have known each other for a long time. And this is the next chapter for both of them. I guess the next chance for both of them, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things we'll get into kind of here and there is the the seriousness of some of the plot versus the comedic tone and the little jokes that they insert here and there and Mm -hmm. sometimes they work together really well and other Mm -hmm. times they very much butt heads with one another from like a tonal standpoint yeah i personally found a lot of the comedy in the pilot to be problematic and when i first watched it i remember being like i don't know if i'm gonna like this show Mm -hmm. because a lot of it did feel crowbarred in uh the stuff with like (laughs) <laughs> the stuff where Halsey's talking about Gordon drawing penises on everything. I'm like, yeah. this is what show am I watching? Like I was just watching this other show and now we're making dick jokes and I don't know what show I'm watching anymore. So it did pull me out of it here and there. And I feel like, yeah, this is a pilot and it's still kind of figuring out its tone a little bit. But I have to say that one of the comedy bits that really did work for me is the Justin thing, where yeah. you just see this big ogre and all of a sudden he's like, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> so yeah. good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I liked the comedy bits, even like the, oh, he's drawing penises on things, because I think in my head, it brings it more into a real world aspect. And I, I like that part of things because it feels more real to me than, I guess, like some of the more serious sci-fi sure. shows. And I, I love because humor is a part of our world and it may it's it makes me happy that that's incorporated into something that can all like be very serious at times yeah. and deal with very serious issues. One of the things or one of the best descriptions that I've heard of the show is that it is an office place comedy that just happens to take place on a starship. I guess I could see that one of the things that I thought was interesting is when they were advertising the show, it seemed like a slapstick 30 minute. Yes sitcom and i was like all right obviously i love seth MacFarlane. i want to see what this is and i love space and so then when i watched it i was like this is so much more than just like slapstick Mm -hmm. jokes and things and i think that that in a sense maybe did a little bit of a disservice to it because there is a lot more substance to it agreed than just the comedy yeah and i think it also threw me whereas i wasn't sure if i was going to like it because it just looked like a comedy uh but Mm -hmm. then when they gave me more i was like ooh. Like, I see the potential in this Mm -hmm. uh, when it takes itself away from the comedy a little bit and I want it to be more. So I I feel like especially the early episodes are much more comedy based. Yeah, I feel like they found a good balance like later in the seasons and stuff. I will say that for a pilot, though, I thought this was one of the easiest pilots I've ever watched. Yeah, it's very watchable. It's just, it's easy to go through. It's fun to watch. I want to learn more about the characters. Mm -hmm. It just, it was in my head kind of seamless in the way they did it. Because sometimes it's like, oh God, I got to get through the pilot and then the first three episodes. All the exposition. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, then I'll finally get into it. And like right off the bat, I was like, this is an easy pilot for me to watch. Mm -hmm. And I'm already ready for more. And I feel like I have a good understanding of everything, which I think is hard to do. It is. Uh, And I don't know if you know who the director is for this, but I think... It was John Favreau. It was John Favreau, yeah. Yeah. Which speaks volumes. I mean, the guy is insanely talented. We've seen Mm -hmm. the work he's done in recent years, and he can pretty much tackle anything, and I think that shows here. This was not an easy thing to pull off. No. Space shows in general are hard to pull off when you're setting up, because it's not only Earth or the 
environment of Earth. It's like the entire universe, plus all these different alien races. And there's a lot yeah. <laughs> to unpack there. And I think they did a really good job unpacking it in a pilot. Very true. Uh, Mercer and Malloy make their way to the Orville and the shuttle pod. We get the whole beer in the shuttle pod bit, like you were mentioning mm-hmm. before. I wonder what kind of beer it was. <laughs> <laughs> Space beer. We get our first look at the Orville itself. What do you mm-hmm. think of the design of the ship? That I actually wrote about this in my notes because I, when they pull out and you see the whole mm-hmm. ship, I mean, I grew up in the era of like Star Trek The Next Generation with the Enterprise D and everything. I love the interpretation because it's different. Yes. And honestly, when you first see the engines and the nerd in me got really excited because I was like, I want to live on that. Yeah. Like, that's my dream. Even though, like, you know, whenever these go on these missions, there's all this, like, crazy things they encounter. I'd probably be one of the first casualties. To die. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, there's casualties on the lower deck. It would be me. But I would love to live on a ship like the Orville. Mm. And just, I think it was very sleek. And I like, it's hard to pull off a good ship design. And I think they did a good it's job. It's very difficult, too. I will say that at first, I was like, I don't know. Especially the the three ridges of the engines in the mm-hmm. back. That kind of threw me. But it's grown on me. I think yeah. I think it's one of those things, at least for me, I just needed to get used to it. And I think that's true of a lot of stuff that I watch. But a good design will grow on you and it will kind of stand the test of time. So even though it didn't mm-hmm. jump out at me right away as, oh, that's amazing. Uh, I think it's amazing now. Yeah. Well, what, what were your thoughts when you, I mean, it was a long time ago when like Next Gen came out. But when you first saw like the Enterprise D, did you have like a similar reaction or? No, because I just I loved everything about that show. (laughs) I was when I watched Star Trek, I was a kid and I was in a world of wonderment as to like all this stuff. And I think you're a lot less critical when you're a kid. You're just like I'm being presented with some of these concepts for the first time and I accept all of them without Mm -hmm. any judgment. And now we're just so jaded. And (laughs) I know. You, you you age and then you just everything is you become more critical yeah yeah i i really like the ship design though and especially since it's an exploratory vessel i feel like it works the design works really well it's not like a battle cruiser or something like totally that. totally agree uh in the ship shuttle bay mercer gathers the crew for an introduction he then meets the senior staff while introducing them to the viewers so this serves that dual purpose of kind of really just a rundown of who's on mm-hmm. the ship uh, so we should do that same kind of rundown and introduce our audience to the characters, even though they watch yeah. the episode, too. So first up is Chief of Security Alara Katan, who is a 23-year-old Zalayan. The gravity on her homeworld is much stronger. So in Earth gravity, she has super strength as a result. Mm-hmm. You notice there's no eyebrows. No eyebrows. <laughs> there are no eyebrows. Granted, we wouldn't notice yeah. this yet. <laughs> but no, I all I didn't honestely notice I didn't until either. I looked up the trivia. Yeah. And I was like, oh crap, it is different. But her character they did a good job introducing alien races. Mm-hmm. They explained enough background that you could have a basis for what their purpose. Yes. Like her being a security officer, she's strong. Yep. She's young. She's been fast tracked because not many Salayans join the military. I thought they they did a really good job with introducing each character with their ship's purpose or their their job mm-hmm. and enough about their background too. Yeah, and like one line of exposition, they let us mm-hmm. know, oh, not a lot of us join the union, so when we do, we get fast tracked. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, like yeah, totally. I get it. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, let's move on. Like it was one of those things where I I'm one of those people where if there's any sort of plot hole, I get hung mm-hmm. up on that. And I'm like, now I can't move on. I can't reconcile this in my mind. And I I didn't have any of that when we met each character. I did at first. I was like, why would they do a 23-year-old security officer? Even if they're fast-tracking her, why would they put that in the show? And I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. Of course they would put that in the show. <laughs> now we have like a younger person who the older people can like teach lessons to. And she can have that like coming of age and learning things and experiences because she is a younger person. So like that's Mm -hmm. great for storytelling purposes. Why would they not do that? Yeah. Uh, The next one up is navigator John Lamar, who we don't get a lot out of aside from the fact that he wants to drink soda on the bridge. Which that's one of the comedy things that I loved because I'm like, it's so real. Like you would never have that conversation on Star Trek, the next generation. No, no. And I feel like the way our society is, it's very much like that is something someone asked, like, can we still can we still have soda on the bridge? Which I mean, you're flying this giant starship like that's 
not something <laughs> you should even be asking. You would you would thinking of, but it just it brings more of like a human quality, I think, to the show. Totally, and the bit comes back a few times mm-hmm. over the course of the episode, yeah. which is great. Uh, second officer Bordis, who is a Mocklin and part of a single gender species, they're all male. Uh, I think my first thing right away was like, oh, this is Worf. Yeah, I think he's a little drier than Worf. He is a lot drier than Worf, and yet hits a lot of the same comedy beats that Worf did. Mm -hmm. I feel like Bordis, when you're meeting everybody, Bordis is my favorite. I I love how serious he is, and he's also very honest, but it comes across just in a funny Mm -hmm. tone because of just the way he delivers his lines and stuff, but... He's the perpetual straight man. Mm-hmm. But he does such a good job at it. He really does. I really love Bordas. I love all of Bordas's like storyline throughout this episode. And I he he had an impactful resonance with me when I first was introduced. I was like, I like Bordas. Bordas is my favorite so far. I think Bordas works so well because of all the characters. He's the one that's not aware he's in a comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah, there's just something about it that's endearing. And it's just fun to watch him. And like, he's also kind of learning some things about humans. Mm-hmm. And and that that in itself has been fun to just watch. Yeah, In this episode, I love the part where later on he's on the bridge and they're all talking about. Yeah, they're all talking about Grayson. <laughs> he's like, I don't think we should be talking about this yeah. <laughs> like that because he's the one like, no, this is not how we behave. And yet mm-hmm. everyone else is just like all over the place. Yeah. It, I, I that was that was the scene I was thinking of, and we haven't gotten to Isaac yet. But Isaac brings it up, and then they all start talking about it. And Bordis like, we shouldn't be talking about this because it's wrong, but they still do. Yeah. <laughs> Next, we get Chief Medical Officer Claire Finn. Uh, right away, she seems like the most confident and capable officer. Mm-hmm. Like she's there to look she after sassy. everybody. She is sassy, and I like it. Yeah, she's a great medical officer. Mm-hmm. I think. I just I love her hair too. Because she has like like a little bit of green in her hair. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I just, I feel like in all space shows and space things, there's never like differences in hair. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that just sticks out to me. And I just love that she has dyed hair. I don't know And she coordinates why. it with her uniform. Yes. She coordinates it with her uniform. And it, it works really well for me. I really like I that agree, about I agree, actually. I really like it. Uh, then lastly, we get science and engineering officer Isaac. He is a member of an artificial life form species known as the Kalon. Isaac is not an official member of the union, but acts as a representative who is helping to foster relationships between the union and his people. And this is clearly the data. Yeah. And data on next gen was my, he was my boy, (laughs) but like. I love Isaac, too. I actually have a Kindle, and I named it Isaac, because you can name your Kindle after Isaac from the Orville. Fantastic. Yeah, Isaac is Data, but more... Like, Data, there's always the question of, does he have emotion or does he not? With Isaac, Mm -hmm. especially at this point, we're like, no, he doesn't. (laughs) Like, there's no No, question. He's just a robot. He's an android. He's just a machine. (laughs) Uh, so that's our senior staff for now until we get the introduction of the remaining member in a little bit. Also, I think this is a good time to kind of touch on the uniforms since we're really being mm-hmm. introduced to the variety of them at this point. So the Orville uniforms, we have blue for command. We have orange for engineering. We have green for medical, red for security, and then purple for admirals. Uh, that's all we've seen at this point. So clearly kind of going with the same idea that so many space sci-fi shows do where they have some sort of color designation for different operations but kind of not using the same traditional ones that we've seen the the same ones like assigned for the same things they're kind of carving their own path a little bit and i like the uh i like the designations as their badge i guess you would call it yeah yeah i I think they did a good job with coming up with uniforms because that there's a fine line where it's goofy and it looks really bad Mm -hmm. or it like works and I think that it works for the show because there's been shows I've watched where I'm like, I can't get I maybe there's something wrong in my brain, but there's certain things I can't get past. And a bad uniform is one of them. And these work really, really well. And I love when that there is diversity in it and the badges themselves mm-hmm. have like a designation like, oh, this is chief medical or this is yep. captain yep. or, you know, command, that kind of thing. I think they did a really good job with that because that's also a fine. Agreed fine area you can really not do well and they got the ranks up on the shoulders which looks pretty nice Mm -hmm. gives it that kind of military look 
And yet again, it doesn't feel like overly military. It feels like on the same. It feels like that soft military that Starfleet feels like a little bit. Yeah. Although I am curious what a like warship in the Union would be like. Yeah, that's true. Well, maybe at some point they'll introduce us to maybe. one. But I, I feel like the, they, they look comfortable too, mm-hmm. which makes sense if you're going to be doing that kind of work. Like it, and, and I don't know. I've always loved that about shows. Like you don't have to think about your outfit. Like I think you just get dressed and you go to yeah. work. And I, I think they did a really nice job with that because it is, it's interesting. Isaac doesn't wear a uniform. No. He doesn't have any sort. Well, he's of... He's not a member of the union either. So that's probably that is why. True. Granted, he wears no clothes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he doesn't wear. He wears whatever it is that he's wearing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just realized that like he. Yeah, he's a part of the crew and he he stands out in that way because like Data always had the uniform on. And yeah, Isaac, he's just naked chilling on the bridge. <laughs> That's it. Uh, Gordon and Lamar meet each other. I love of all the people on the show, of all the like pairings on the show, Gordon and Lamar have the best like interaction and chemistry. I love them together. Yeah, I think um, they did it. They, they did a really good job with casting and everybody has like a synergistic they work together well, and I do think that those two, though, have a really good comedy mm-hmm. pairing. I love seeing them at the helm together. Granted, sometimes yeah. they go off the rails, but <laughs> I do really enjoy their interplay. I'm specifically thinking of the dog looking himself yes. in the background. Yes. <laughs> it's the first thing I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mercer makes his way to the bridge for departure to the Epsilon Science Station for their first mission. The captain's... Oh, so we get the bridge here. So let's talk about the mm-hmm. bridge. So obviously there are heavy, heavy nods to TNG era Trek. For one, mm-hmm. we have like that clean, brightly lit bridge, which mm-hmm. I really look. And I know I've heard people say that one of the things they don't like about the next generation is that it looks like you're in a hotel lobby. Like it's all brightly lit and all that stuff. And the bridge here yeah. looks very much the same. But I've also heard Seth MacFarlane say in interviews that he wanted to represent that like optimistic positive possible future because it it gives you a level of hope to shoot for you want to be a part of that world a part of that universe and i think having that kind of an environment where you're in for so much of your time lends itself to that kind of attitude yeah one of the things too is like you're in space you don't have like the natural sun illuminating your world Mm -hmm. so like i i would feel like in some ways that's just part of not getting sad like the seasonal affect disorder type yeah. stuff and i think it works well for the environment you I mean you're you're on an exploratory vessel you're going out into space you can't have like a dingy dark room with some control panels like and i immediately think of like the evil ships when i think of yeah. like the dark and and so it does provide a contrast in that regard too totally the uh layout is very similar to tng we have like the captain in the first officer chairs right in the middle there uh helm and navigation in the front we have the science and engineering posts off to the sides instead of like the horseshoe the security horseshoe that they had on the enterprise bridge they have like the two separate consoles and a gap in the middle which makes way more sense because (laughs) you don't have to walk around it every time or leap over it like they had to do on the enterprise so um although bordis and alara we see them first at those posts in the back But they seem to spend more of their time off to the side. Yeah. And I feel like when you're thinking of a ship in general, like there's probably only so many places you can put control and like helm makes sense. Yeah. Where else would you put it? Yeah. So it it does have like very similar feelings, but does seem like Bordis and Alara spend time on the side. And I don't know. I don't normally. I can't remember if anybody else stood behind them. Yeah. I'm thinking of it and I'm not. Nothing's really coming to mind. So they might throw like extras and stuff there, but. No, I, I I love the way that they did the staircase that goes up to the bridge, mm-hmm. too. I just I love LEDs and like the stairs are all illuminated. And I was just like, this is so cool because I don't feel like we ever really saw that on next gen. It's like an elevator that takes them. Yeah, the turbo lift. Yeah. Yeah, the turbo lift directly to the bridge. Yeah. And I love that there was like this elegant spiral staircase that led up to the bridge and also provided some separation from like the civilian people and the other workers on the ship. So I thought that was actually really cool visual to see because you don't see that normally. True. 
Ed is notified that his first officer has been assigned, and it's his ex-wife, Kelly Grayson, who actually requested the assignment. He's not happy about it. No, I love when he ran off the bridge. <laughs> no, 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 like no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kelly meets Ed in his office and apologizes for what happened after a short argument. She says that she'll transfer as soon as another XO is available. So she's kind of there as a placeholder. Uh, but then or she intended to probably be there longer. And then as soon as she finds out how upset he is, is like, OK, mm-hmm. well, I will get out of your hair as soon as I can. Which is interesting that she requested it. Mm-hmm. That to me, I don't know that if it's ever fully answered. I think it is in the final scene of this episode. Yeah, that is true. But it is interesting because it's like, oh, is she trying to like reconcile with Ed or like what's her motives mm-hmm. or she just wants to see him win? Like stuff like that. They do work well together. That's one thing that is true. One of the things was like when they first Ed's in his room or his office and she comes in. This is just some of the silly little detail stuff that I love. It's not silly, but like when he's typing on the computer and it's lighting up on the Mm -hmm. screen, like that stuff makes me so happy. But when she walks in and she's like, hi, and they just say hi to each other. It's just it's a very human interaction. And then they just start arguing immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also a very human reaction. Very human thing. <laughs> Upon arriving at Epsilon 2, they speak with Dr. Aronov, who says that while he did make a supply request, those supplies aren't needed. There's actually an urgent matter that they need to discuss on the planet's surface. I recognize this actor, although... He is also from Deep Space Nine, I believe. He's, a, he's from a lot of stuff. Yeah, he, he. I recognized him too. Um, but that was another fun fact that I... Found but didn't include, but he was also, I guess, uh, an actor on Deep Space Nine. Of course, of course. Uh, Mercer, Grayson, Finn, and Catan take a shuttle to the surface to meet the Doctor. So here's one of the things that I did not like about the episode that I was ready to be done with as soon as they started doing it. Uh, We get Ed making the first of many public jokes about his ex-wife and just like poking at her and jabbing her the whole time. I'm like, okay, you're establishing that Ed's very petty. But, like, all those jokes just felt... They made him seem like less of a captain to me. See, and I think maybe I have a different view on it just because I think it it's human. Yeah. And it, it accelerated some of the character development because you only have, like, an hour to do all that. Mm. Or even less now with commercial breaks True. and stuff. And so when they find out about this aging gun... And he's like, oh, can you reverse it so that you can go back and change? Yeah, all that. I was just like, uh-huh, like, let it go. I know. See, but I, what I like, though, is I think it created enough conflict that that it is resolved by the end. And it shows that even though they have their differences in times of need, they did work together. True. My fear was so that. So I guess I viewed it that way. But Yeah, my fear was that it was just going to be an ongoing thing, like nonstop. Like, this is mm-hmm. going to happen all the time. And I'm done with it already. See, I I guess it didn't happen too much that I was like, oh, gosh, or anything. It is funny because, like, basic decency teaches you to not do that kind of stuff in public. And also protocol. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like, yeah. I mean, he's got a lot riding on the fact that this is he's in charge of the ship now and he's in command. And I I think if it was anybody else besides his ex-wife who cheated on him, it probably wouldn't have worked as well. You would have been reported. (laughs) Aronov says they need protection from the Krill due to a discovery they've made. As they make their way through the station, Alara meets a creature that's actually their chief botanist. And Aronov gives Ed some genetically engineered redwood seeds that were designed to grow anywhere. I like the little twist of the botanist reveal. Granted, Mm -hmm. it's not like a major character. Like it doesn't actually do anything aside from like basically saying hello But I like that we're presented with this creature who we are assuming is just like being studied or part of the experiment and then pops out of the water. And the doctor's like, oh, yeah, that's our chief botanist. Like, oh, yeah, stop being so judgmental. Yeah, I like I like that, too, because you think, oh, it's just that's a specimen. Mm -hmm. That's just a part of this lab. But it it does introduce you to like the world can have more than humanoid aliens, which I really like because. Sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm like, these are only just humanoid aliens mm-hmm. and like there's there could be so much more. And I thought that was a really good nod to saying, hey, this universe is big and you're going to see a lot of different things. We got that with uh, Yafet as well, too, even though we yeah. weren't formally introduced to him uh, yet. He is still yeah. present and also non-humanoid. So 
Yeah, it, it is nice to have that because I think that is also a hard thing to do in shows and take it seriously. And I think they did well with this, especially with that part with the botanist. I thought that was really well done. I did wonder why they were kind of wasting time on the redwood seeds at the time until Mm -hmm. you find out later that they're a critical part of the plot. You just don't know that yet. But it's a delicious snack. But I think Ed did a good job, too, where he just was like, he took about, he's like, yeah, great, whatever, and then shoves it in his pocket. Yeah, like, what is this all about? Because it's time, like, yeah, like, he felt like it was wasting his time, too. I'm also wondering if they had to coat the Petri dishes with something, because if these seeds can grow anywhere, why are they not, like, embedding themselves in the actual dish that you put them in? It's the suspension of disbelief. Like, they're scientists, so they've probably found it a way to, like, keep it from growing. No, it is true. But it would grow slowly, right? True. Yeah, so like that would be something that they could maybe maybe they just constantly have to have a supply. Of seeds. You always have to dump it into a new container so it doesn't yeah. take root into something. There's new seeds every single day. Uh, the discovery they've made is a device that creates a temporal field that accelerates time within a bubble. While the benefits are many, it could also be weaponized. Aronov didn't want to notify the Union over subspace channels because he feared the Krill would intercept. And we don't know a ton about we've only heard them mention up to this point. Uh, they haven't talked about the krill explicitly, but they just allude to the krill as in like they're our enemies. They can't know this stuff. Yeah, I the the pilot jumped right in with a lot of things, like introducing the krill as the main, I think, nemesis in space, and that the krill are the ones to watch out for. It reminds me of Romulans, like, <laughs> but it is something where it is they establish that very early on, like the krill are bad. Yeah, and. Where did Derek fit in? Like, Derek was informing the Krill? So, Derek, so in the next scene, uh, Mercer contacts the Orville, and a lab tech named Derek pulls a plasma weapon and sends a message to the Krill. It's always a Derek. Uh, In the shuffle, Derek pushes a researcher into the temporal bubble, aging her to the point of death. Derek, I can only assume, was a Krill spy. I don't know how Mm -hmm. they got a human on, like, the Krill (laughs) paycheck. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But... They somehow convinced Derek to relay information back to them at some point. Yeah. Derek got his, though. Oh, Derek got his, for sure. I did think it was a good use of, like, having the the lab tech getting aged just to kind of show us the danger, the true danger. Like, yeah, they used it on a banana, but they Mm -hmm. had to do a little bit of, uh, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark on this thing (laughs) to really, like, age her super quick. Yeah. Well, there's a lot where... Even Alara was like, you know, this can be weaponized mm-hmm. and turn armies into aged elderly people kind of thing. And my mind doesn't go there. So, like, it's nice to, you know, have the dynamics and like, it shows the security officers doing her job. Also true. As a Krill destroyer arrives at the planet, Alara takes down Derek. They grab the device and make a run for it as the Orville and the Krill destroyer fire upon one another. Space battle. Space battle. And, uh. Hugging the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which is apparently an actual maneuver. I Yeah, I did see that when I was looking stuff up. It's called it's called something else. Yeah. But the hugging the donkey is actually a technique that is used. Yeah. Let me see if I can find the actual or the other thing. Okay, yeah. Originally, the tactic was called the electron maneuver. Oh, but that was in the original script. Oh, so wait, it's not an actual maneuver. It's just a renamed no. one. <laughs> they renamed Never it. mind. <laughs> I was like, I, I, yeah, okay. So apparently that's just something in our fictional world. Yep. That's real. It's a real thing <laughs> now. It's real in my mind. It's canon now. We can't change it. The Krill arrive on the surface heavily armored. I dig the design of the Krill. Mm-hmm. Both the species themselves and the armor that they have, their weapons, they do remind me a little bit of the Klingons in the fact that everything is a little more hard-edged than mm-hmm. all the stuff that the Union has. So it's kind of like that Federation versus Klingon type of look. I did find it very interesting that their predominant color, though, like you said, Romulan, their predominant yeah. color is green. And I don't think that's accidental. I mean, maybe it is green and black do look pretty badass together. They do. <laughs> uh, I love that they had a language, too. Yeah. Because sometimes it's always like, oh, we're in the universe. Everybody speaks English. Like, it's nice to hear that diversity of, yeah, they all speak English because that's how they have to communicate with mm-hmm. each other over comms and stuff. But they have their own language. And it, I always love seeing that used in shows. True. 
And it felt like it felt real, like they were communicating with each other. And, and I, I really, I don't know. I've always wondered what goes into creating an alien language on the back end of things, like how that would even pan out if they were just saying words to each other or if there was like actually like in the script, like this is what it translates to. Well, I know uh, <laughs> to again, bring up Star Trek. Uh, some of the Klingon words had actual meanings at the time and some were purely gibberish. And then mm-hmm. they started to flesh it out more. And then it actually, like, as we know, Klingon is a full-fledged language now. Like, people speak Klingon. So I guess it all depends. Like, a lot of shows and movies will get a linguist in to actually Mm -hmm. base it on something because they just have a a more solid idea of, like, what goes into language, what kind of consistencies you need between the sounds, then relationships between nouns and verbs. It's crazy how much work goes into that kind of stuff. I don't know what kind of went into this, but I think even just coming up with your own language, there probably was given some guidelines at the very least, like you got to sound like this. But I mean, I just I appreciate when that extra step is taken and it's not just the crow going, they went this way, but they're actually speaking what sounds like an alien language. Yeah. The away team makes their way onto the shuttle and departs the planet. Uh, a krill that is snuck on board raises his weapon, but Mercer stops the shuttle short and he's knocked out against the front. Apparently, that is different from the original script as well. I saw, yeah, go ahead. Tell me more. So the the beer bottle that was set up earlier, which felt like kind of a toss away scene, even though it was mm-hmm. kind of fleshing out Gordon's character a little bit more and also showing us that he's not totally over just being like a knucklehead. Mm-hmm. But apparently that beer bottle was still in the same shuttle and Mercer would have found it and used that to knock out the krill. Yeah. I like the way they did it, though. I do, too. Because it showed off the sweet seat belts. <laughs> yeah. It, not only that, but it showed a little more ingenuity than just like, I'm going to yeah. pick up this thing and hit you with it. Through a masterful maneuver by Malloy, the shuttle returns to a badly damaged Orville. I was shocked at how much they beat up the ship in this first episode. It was, I mean, it was a battle cruiser, wasn't it? Like a krill it was, battle cruiser, yeah. I think. It was a yeah. destroyer. And I'm pretty sure the krill are very strong in the military or weapons department. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you saw how small the Orville was in comparison to the krill ship when they were hugging the donkey. <laughs> it's completely realistic that it would cause that much damage. I'm just shocked mm-hmm. in like episode number one where we've introduced this ship. Let's just beat the crap out of it right away. I know, and especially on Ed's first mission, too. It's just like, damn. But it shows that, like, again, nothing can't touch the ship, I guess. I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, you, there is an aspect of danger that is immediately, like, two of the engines got yeah, blown out. Yeah, like, I'm not sure we're going to see Game of Thrones level deaths here, but. <laughs> I, I hope not. Yeah, that would be so depressing. But, like, it, and, like, they're trying to stall for time. And one of my favorite scenes was when they were trying to get Isaac to get all the power to the last engine and they were talking to the krill and he's trying to drag it out and the krill was weirdly framed because as soon as that shot came up where the krill was off like to the side I was like why do they frame it like that and I had forgotten since I first watched it that he was like can you stand can you move over to the middle you're you're, you're weirdly framed and I really appreciated that Mm -hmm. because it answered something in my mind that I needed to be fixed and why does that always happen (laughs) Uh-huh. And then um like the the Krill marriage conversation yeah. made me very happy and then it leads into that Kelly and Ed come up with a or Kelly comes yeah. up with a plan to essentially give them the weapon but also destroy the at ship the at same the same time. time. Yeah. Uh the the main viewer bit I didn't love either. <laughs> I feel like this is a thing we we are on opposite sides of where you like love every <laughs> joke they include. Oh, I love and I'm it. I'm <laughs> like, I, I get the joke. I understand the joke. But I so I think the thing for me is I don't like the comedy that either pulls me out or slows down the plot to like a completely standstill point. Yeah. And I think for me, it's, it is like that. If you were going to stall someone like the Krill, that was the way that they that he did it. Like it was a very like in my head, it's how I would have done something yeah. like how I would have been like oh hey can you move over this doesn't look right like it can you stand a little bit this way it's a little distracting and it just brings in something that's a little bit more real life to Mm me instead of like those intense like conversations like stop doing what you're doing like while there's a place for those i think that it 
shows that even far in the future, we're not perfect and we're still all trying to navigate situations, especially like, I mean, how would you how would you have handled something like that if you needed to distract him? I mean, we have webcams now that auto center based on our face. So why? Why is it totally crazy that any starship wouldn't be able to? <laughs> well, because he was trying to find ways to distract the krill. So so Isaac could get the ship engine. Yeah, I, I so I guess that makes sense. I didn't when watching it perceive that part of the bit as stalling. I thought that was just a meta joke. And then the, the when he brings up the ex-wife stuff, then I was like, okay, mm-hmm. that's the stalling part. But this other part just felt like on there. See, I, I loved it because I'm the same way where if something's not centered or not in the rule of thirds and stuff, I'm like, oh, God, it needs to be fixed. And the fact that he like addressed it and I agree. It, it, like, I just think he should have been in the center right away and just skip that bit. It's like it's just slowing down I the really show. I liked it, though. So clearly that was a joke. For yeah, me. yeah. <laughs> So I, I think, yeah, and again, it's that it's that thing of like, that's the show that I want doesn't have those bits in there. I like I like mm-hmm. comedy. I like the Justin stuff. I like some of the other stuff that was in there. If it if it slows down the plot or if it pulls me out, I'm like, ugh, because now I'm being reminded that I'm watching a show and I can't just lose myself in it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see that in some ways, but for me, it works. And like, I feel that. I think I feel a connection to that humor mm-hmm. too. And so for me, it just like, I'm like, oh yeah, I really, I really, really like what they did there. And of course, not everything's going to land, but maybe that's why they do so much of it is so that it will resonate with some people. Yeah. Cause not every joke's going to resonate with me that would with you. And I don't even think that there's not a show where that all works, but I saw mm-hmm. the serious parts of this and wanted it. I just wanted. <laughs> I I am not being a completely fair critic of it because I want it to be Star Trek. Yeah, but it's not. I know it's not, but I <laughs> like that's my that's my point of reference. So so when it's it's and and I like the fact that they talk to each other like real people and mm-hmm. there's a lot of it that I do like in that sense. And like I said, I do like a lot of the comedy bits. There are just certain ones that don't don't necessarily work for for the tone that I would love to have. I guess to me, too, is that there are similarities between the the show, but it is unique in its own. Oh, for sure. And like it does have like a lot of unique characters in the writing and in the way that they deliver Mm -hmm. things that sometimes with next gen, like I when I watched that when I was a little Mm -hmm. kid. And so I grew up with it and watching the shows now as an adult. I'm like, wow, those are things I didn't pick up on in the nuances and like how seriously toned it is, too. And I think what I like is that life is very serious. And I love that the Orville brings in the fact that stuff can be serious, but you can also laugh at it. Mm -hmm. And that they tackle crazy things like this aging weapon gun thing. But you can laugh about, you know, the fact that marriage is hard, even across alien species and humans. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's a partnership. Uh, So as you were saying before, the Krill demands the device or they'll destroy the ship. Grayson suggests a plan in which they attach one of the redwood seeds to the device. I love that they just super glue it. <laughs> like, yeah, it nothing was fancy. A super glue gun. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they accelerate its growth once it's inside the krill ship, which works. And uh, Ed does that line of like Happy Arbor Day. They have the whole thing of yeah. you got wood now. I honestly I think, think happy ar- yes. yes, Happy <laughs> yes, Arbor Day is a better Day. line. Yes, I agree. I, I was like, I got it immediately. I was like, 100%. I'm behind that. Yep. And you got wood. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. But Happy Arbor Day is a like a 10 out of 10 to me. It is. <laughs> I I think, I granted, the Krill has no idea what the hell Arbor Day is. Yes. <laughs> but I think it's still the better line of the two. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm right there with you with that one. Also, I thought that CGI was really good. Oh, yeah. The effects are great in this show. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, and like with the Redwood just exploding. Yep. The ship, essentially. And it's plausible. I mean, you think about it. A redwood growing at that rate sure. would just annihilate everything. I, I One thing I was wondering, though, I'm like, did they go try to find the weapon? Like, it was it just floating in space after? Oh. Like, I was like, what happened to it? One would think it's still there. Yeah. I mean, they have the, they have probably have all the plans and the technology on Epsilon. Yeah. But like. Although, although if the Krill ship exploded. Yeah. I'm sure the tech went boom with it. I like that. I like that explanation. Okay. Instead of it just floating until some <laughs> someone finds it and bad things happen. Exactly. 
With the Orville undergoing repairs, Kelly enters Ed's office and informs him that there's another XO available and she'll be out of his hair soon. I really enjoyed the line where Ed said, you were always better at solving my problems than I was, which is a Mm -hmm. huge admission and very much a softening of where he was at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, I feel like their relationship dynamic, while still rocky, showed that during, like I said earlier, times of trial and difficulties that they can work together really well. And I mean, I believe he said to her, you like saved the ship. Yeah. And so he eventually agrees to keep her on as the XO. Yeah. And I think even though of all the terrible things of her cheating on him and stuff, that he realizes for the betterment of the ship and the crew, it's better to keep her around. And for himself, too, I think, even though it's not totally clear. But I think, like, he doesn't explicitly say that. I think he knows for his sake, too, having her around is a good thing. Which I think is one of the reasons that she requested to be there is because Mm -hmm. there's this there's this non-closure that they both have hanging over their heads. Ed says he's moved on, but has he really? No. No. (laughs) So as soon as she shows up, they're reopening the old wounds. Huh? Mm -hmm. Huh? And then oh, pull it, pull it together. <laughs> and then uh, they're they're kind of dealing with this past issue, and they they both realize in this moment that they are better together than apart. Even if that's not in a romantic way, they know mm-hmm. that their strengths and weaknesses complement each other. So they are kind yeah. of the perfect pairing for this. And I think again, kind of going back to what you said about the casting, having Seth MacFarlane here with Adrian Plicky. They're wonderful together. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. all Everybody kind of plays off of each other really well. Yeah. And it feels natural. It doesn't... Sometimes, again, with pilots, you're watching it and you're like, oh, that's not really worked out quite yet. It feels... Like, and I, I, I feel like there's probably like a little bit of an awkward period when you're just getting the groove with something new. Yes. And it, I didn't feel that with this show, which I think is hard to accomplish. I watch a lot of shows and I don't keep watching them because I can't get through the first few episodes and I was already smooth sailing like 10 minutes into the first episode of this yeah i mean granted it's it's bringing in some things from our childhood and kind of like yeah using that as a stepstone and that's totally fine that's what i wanted them to do anyway so yeah in yeah this this was a space show that i i've wanted for a very long time yeah. or sci-fi show this is a show that i i mean i love the genre i watch everything but this was one that i really had wished into existence i feel like like i wanted this to be like i I miss star trek the next generation Mm -hmm. and this helps give me that satisfaction but in a new and unique way yeah it's it's similar enough to where i get some of those like comfy home feels nostalgia Uh yeah different enough to where i don't know what's gonna happen yeah and it's tackling issues of today Mm -hmm. that i think or like, I mean, see, I'm not trying to jump ahead. Too, I know. But like it, it's in a modern, it's a modern twist. Yes. For our generation. Yep. And I think that's really cool. Grayson meets Admiral Halsey in his office. It's here that we learn that she's actually responsible for requesting that Mercer be assigned to a captain's chair. This scene mm-hmm. was also not in the original script. Really? Yes. It was added in. Uh, I forget what the original one was, but I loved this extra layer on top of everything because yeah. it it doesn't completely redeem Grayson but it shows that she made an honest mistake and she's yeah. trying to repair it yeah because i think she feels responsible for like the issues he's had over the last year mm-hmm. the breakdown of his marriage kind of set him on that path yeah and maybe he would have been a captain yeah. at this point had that not happened it is interesting, too, that she's like, Halsey's is like, did you did you tell him? Does he know? And she's like, no, don't tell him. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting point, because if Ed had known, it, it, it almost would take away. Absolutely. Like, that feeling of accomplishment. Yes. Like they're not taking they're not rolling the dice on you, Ed, like your ex-wife got you this job. So, yeah, I think I think that whole last scene, it's kind of like a twist ending almost. A little bit, yeah. Or like a pl- like a little a little tiny plot twist to like almost give you like it's not like a cliffhanger, but it kind of is for like you want more now. Yeah. I want to watch more now, please. Yeah, and it makes me like Grayson's character that much more. Like it's not that yeah. I didn't like her, 
But like she was kind of the person who screwed up Ed's mm-hmm. life in a lot of ways and then just like inserted herself back into it. But now that we have this, it's like, oh, OK, I get it. I can't I can't imagine like joining a ship with that much stigma, too. And like the crew talking about it and knowing about it. And like that would be hard enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's ballsy to put herself back into that situation. Yeah, that that's something that I feel like most people be like, nope, I'm out. Not going to. So there's clearly more to that whole underlying reason than just, oh, I want to be an XO on a Absolutely. ship. Yep. So, yeah. So then, what is your big takeaway from this episode? I think overall, I mean, it's the pilot. You're You're being introduced to this world and the characters. I found that it was done in a really nice way. I mean, I am excited to learn more about this universe and everything in it. And it made me care about the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, I already am like, I'm invested. I want to know <laughs> what's going to happen. I think that it, it was just done in such a way that it made me excited about more. Yeah. And I tell everybody to watch it. Same. So that was my main takeaway is that I'm just like, oh, you looking for a show? You watch the Orville, please. Like, you're going to really like it. And so... Yeah, I I think my takeaway is because it's a pilot. I mean, you obviously don't have that much to go off of besides just new character introduction. Mm -hmm. It was just it was really well balanced. And I thought that if it makes me care about it already, it did something right. For me, so many pilots of so many TV shows are bad. And it's because Mm -hmm. pilots have a ridiculous amount of work to do, especially Mm -hmm. when you're talking about a sci fi show that is setting up not only the characters like every other show needs to but also an entire world and structure around them. Uh, and I feel like this show did that very well. The seeds, yes, pun intended, are there for a great sci-fi series from the first episode. They're still not sure, though, what the tone that they want is. I don't feel like they know. They lean on the comedy at certain parts. They lean on the drama at certain parts. They don't always work together, but sometimes they do Uh, There are no necessarily deep sci-fi questions in this particular episode, and that's totally okay, given the amount of work that they had to do in other Mm -hmm. areas. That stuff is for later. We're setting up everything in the universe right now. Totally understand why they would do that. And yet the plot itself was still enjoyable, even though it wasn't like this big, deep sci-fi question. It was still a fun adventure that they went on. They had a lot to cover in the universe uh, and introducing all the characters uh, and like I said before, a lot of the comedy felt ill-placed for me. Uh, some of it just didn't work. But again, they're finding their footing. Some shows, mm-hmm. Star Trek The Next Generation, didn't find their footing until like season three. Yeah. So the fact mm-hmm. that they're this far ahead from episode number one speaks volumes for what they've done. Honestly, kudos to them for unpacking all of that in a pilot and having it seem seamless. Yeah. Because yeah. My friends sometimes would be like, hey, you should watch this show. And I'm like on episode five and I'm like, when does it get better? Yeah. And they're like, you just got to get through it. it. There's a point. And I'm like, but I want to I, I I feel like that. And like as I've gotten older, I don't have as much time yep. to set aside for entertainment. And so when I do, I want to make a count. And I felt from the get go that I invested my time wisely. Same. In the Orville. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think they did an excellent job. And. I'm I'm excited for more. <laughs> As am I, and there certainly will be more. Uh, but before we wrap up this episode, your husband's a big fan of the show too, isn't he? He is. He has agreed <laughs> generously to give us little snippets of review for each episode. Mm-hmm. He has decided that it that he would like to share every time we do an episode what his one sentence review would be. And here it is. Finally, the Arbor Day celebration we need. Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. 
You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.